0: external readers i am Catherine druckman joining you again for our awesome cool podcast um as always joining us is doc searles our editor-in-chief and our special guest this time is Yvtach shulman of redis labs he Hi. is the cto and co-founder and he was kind enough to join us uh so Yiftach, we've talked a, a bit in preparation for the podcast about redis labs but i wondered if you could just give us sort of a an overview for the, the tiny fraction of, of the people listening that don't know all about redis labs and redis If you could just give us a little brief intro that'd be great
1: yeah great thank you very much for hosting me first and you know redis is uh, extremely popular in memory data structure database yeah that's used by many people as just a caching system but many of them have uh, shifted from you know just simple cache to a real database, even in the open source world. Just in terms of numbers, um, only on Docker Hub, Redis has been launched for almost 1.8 or over 1.8 billion times. Yeah, something like 5k, 5 million every day. So it's extremely popular. It's used. It's used everywhere. Um, and Redis Labs is the company behind the open source, and we also have. When I say behind the open source, we sponsor. I, I would say 99% of all the open source activities, if not 100%. Yeah, and um, we also have enterprise products, uh, which is called Redis Enterprise, and it is available as a cloud service on all the public clouds, as well as a fully managed Redis cloud service, as well as softwares that you can download and install everywhere. This is our story in general. Um, the way <clears throat> we split between open source and commercial, which is today very, very tricky, is that um, we keep the Redis core as open core, BSD by the way, and On the top of that, we added um, what we call enterprise layers that allows Redis to be deployed in in enterprise environment in, uh, I would say the most scalable and highly available way. Okay, with all the goodies that you need, including active active, including um, data persistence layer, et cetera, et cetera. All the boring stuff that enterprise needs, yeah? And in addition to that, a lot of security features. Um, and in addition to that, we extended Redis with uh, what we call modules. Um, uh, some of them were initially open source and then we changed the license. This is probably the reason that you called me. here.
0: Right. <laughs> that was in the news, certainly.
1: Uh, we, we changed the license twice. And today it is licensed under source available, um, Redis source available license which practically means that you can do everything with it, but you cannot create a product that competes, again, Redis Enterprise with it. This is in general. Now, you, you should ask, why did you do it? This is the open source, etc., etc. and there were tons of discussions. But this is very simple, it, and it is funny that we, to some extent became the open source enemies. Because if you look at all the companies on, in, in this space, we are practically the only one who kept the core, this completely, the core database, completely open source under BSD license. So MongoDB doesn't have it. MongoDB today, you know, is using SSPL, which was not accepted as an open source. Um, Datastax is, Completely enterprise. Uh, Elastic has a um, certain amount of open source and then a lot of source available pieces. Um, CocoachDB just changed to BSL, MariaDB is BSL license. So everyone did something. Uh, Confluent also did um, you know, similar stuff. They keep the core with uh, Apache 2, and then uh, a lot of modules on the top of it are source available. And the main reason for that is not because we hate open source. It's not because we're afraid from the open source. There is only one reason. Uh, We think that the cloud provider and specifically AWS don't care about open source companies. They are looking out there to see which open source is successful and deploy it as a service and use the, the, the fact that, you know, everyone is coming to the console and it is very easy to deploy on the console. And we created such a great software. So once it is deployed, it usually doesn't fail. Um, And this keeps the open source companies under um, a significant stretch in terms of, uh, you know, uh, how we can grow the business. Um, And this is not to say that they do it usually with very minimal contribution to the open source. So it is not like an equal contribution to the open source across everyone in the Redis world. We contributed like 95% of the codes. They contributed before we did this switch something like six PRs, <laughs> and they do a lot of money because of the uh, the fact that you know they are a cloud provider. Everyone can go there, use it and they practically make money from a software someone else provided without contributing back. So we think the cloud provider started with this process of breaking the, I would say, the spirit of the open source. And frankly, if you think about the next generation of innovations, uh, how your children will do open source projects. They will start doing a project, someone will look at it, will use the fact that uh, it's a kind of uh, manipuling and and we'll take it, and we'll create a great business out of it. And and people will just stop innovating. This, this, is, this is the future of the world. So we and everyone else in this space decided to stop it and to add some level of restriction at the licensing. But it's very interesting to note, the some level means... The core is still purely open source. Everyone can do everything with it. And the source available is also like an open source because you can practically fork it, you can change it without contributing back. You can do whatever you want, but you cannot compete with us as a business. This is it.
0: Okay, well, I'm glad you, did, you said you don't hate open source. That will <laughs> that's, that's good news. So, <clears throat>
2: Yeah. Go ahead, Doc. Well, let me see if I can um, compress my understanding of what 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 you just said. Um, In the cloud world, um, especially AWS, Amazon uh, has been taking advantage of open source without uh, not only without contributing back to it, but in effect competing against uh providers of open source software, in particular Redis. Is that is that a compression of it?
1: Yeah, you can always say is that what is the provider of an open source version? It's an open source, everyone contributes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But what happened with these, you know, when the open source is database and include a lot of you know reliability features, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, eventually the people who invested in that, in creating the codes, sponsored by someone because you cannot do it in your free time. I mean, you can start with it, but eventually you need, you know, a commercial body to support you. Otherwise, no one will do the work. So there is an image behind the open source. It's not only the community, it's also the companies who who support them. So so a a
2: question, Have you heard from other companies that said, geez, that sounds like a good license. We'd like to have one like that, too.
1: So, again, everyone in our space, all other open source, no sql companies are doing similar stuff.
0: Yeah. So, Mongo. Mongo is after- the computer. So yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's sounds like open source, but... By the book, it is not an open source. By the way, I have nothing against it. It's like another approach for uh, for better licensing. Elastic, the core is open source, but all the advantages, all the modules, all the enhancements that they do is like source available. And by the way, AWS created another competing product with Elastic after they understood that Elastic uh, is doing a lot of stuff with the source available. Confluent the same, CockroachDB the same, um, you name it, everyone.
0: So I'm wondering, I mean, is there, something, is there something that AWS could have done differently to have avoided this conclusion? Is, is there something they could even do now that might change the way that you license your,
1: your product? I mean, is there, yeah, I see. was there We're, a
0: potential alternative?
1: Yeah, I think Google uh, did it differently. Uh, Google Cloud decided to partner with all the open source companies. I mean, all the major ones. Um, us with Mongo, with Neo4j, with um, Influx, with Confluent, um, and to offer them as a native primary services, integrated in a left nav bar of GCP console. I'm not here to, you know, to advertising, them. <laughs> but you ask about different way to do it. They, I think they did it right. They did it first. They said, okay, we will let this party offer their service on our cloud, completely integrated with integrated experience, user experience, with integrated billing and integrated support, and we'll do RevShare. I think it is a proper approach for open source other than taking a software that someone else created and competing with uh, the, the creators of
0: the product. I mean, it, it's a tough issue. I mean, and I wonder if Doc could actually speak to this. We talk a lot about the evolution of open source, the open source community, how over time it has become somewhat divorced from the original ideology. Um, and I, I, I just wonder, I mean, has open source become so successful as a concept? You know, there's no more proving... Uh, that open source is legitimate. You know, when I started at Linux Journal, which was, oh gosh, 12 years ago, I regularly would meet with, with people, you know, CTOs of big hosting companies and, you know, and people that, that were talking about you know, their experiences marketing open source products. Um, I remember a guy t- <laughs> said to me, well, you know, this one guy, when we're trying to sell us, sell him on our platform said, well, it's like coding with your pants down. And I um <clears throat> awkwardly said, well if your pants are down you got to keep it clean. I tell this story a lot. And and they all kind of looked at me and it was a little bit awkward but but you know that was the kind of uh, conversation people used to have. Well people don't have that conversation anymore. Open source is very much established. It's very legitimate but at the same time um you know there are these massively successful companies. I would I would consider you to be one of them. I mean you just had a pretty great funding round, right? Mm-hmm. Um that are uh, no longer having to sell the concept of open source, but now we're focused on profitability and stuff like that. And so, mm-hmm. so you know, is it possible that open source as a concept has become so successful that it's, it's, you know, that it's actually become problematic because, you know, now you no longer have to have this struggle, it's very easy to say, oh, well, this is an established product. Great. I'll dupe it and I'll sell it over here. And I'm already a much bigger company. And, um, you know, I mean, is that part of
2: it? Well, let, let, let me try an angle on this that I hope, hope will simplify things a little bit when open source is two things. One is it's development methodology. Um, the other is, uh, it's a license argument and, Uh, It's been a license argument from the very beginning, even before the beginning, because open source has only been around as a term, as an expression since 1998. Free software was around for more than a decade before that. Um, And open source is created as a definition and not a very pure one either. Free software is very clear about its definition. Open source is a little more vague. Uh, But in in opposition to some degree, uh, uh, to make open source more friendly to business, And something easier to talk about than free software, which is confusing definitionally. What's happened in the last, at least in in the time that I've been around it, which is from before the beginning of the the term open source back in the 90s, um, is that in the beginning, most open source development was done by individuals. Um, That they happened to work for companies was an interesting fact, but they were not run by their companies for the most part. I think this has changed enormously, right? And now, now that open source has gone mainstream, there are many companies that, uh, that, that employ open source, you know, hire open source developers on purpose. And, and also what's happened is the software is much more bundled up. It's in containers. Um, it can be repurposed in all kinds of ways that are commercial. So we're at the point in the argument now, and I, I think Lynn Moody's piece kind of summarizes it fairly well, which is, you know, well, the free software definition is pretty clear about this. You can have commercial uses for it and so forth, but but Redis and others in a similar position do have a case because, you know, it's too easy for all these commercial parties to take advantage of, of the commons, you might say. And I, it's interesting to me that you use the term commons in the, in the license. I'm, I, I am coincidentally going to give, the 10th anniversary keynote at uh, the Ostrom, the Eleanor Ostrom workshop in October and on the 10th anniversary of her winning a Nobel Prize for her work on the commons. And I, I confess to not knowing enough about it, but that's my, I, I've been obliged actually to do a research paper on it. And so you're kind of feeding into that. But your choice of the term commons is a really interesting one because there is this sense of, a potentially tragic middle area that we can all participate in um, and we can all contribute to. And it actually isn't um, finite like a physical commons might be. It can, it can be infinitely large, but there are behaviors that we'd like to see, you know, and and what you're talking about with, with your, um, with your new license is one where um, you're trying to get respect for the behavior of other companies. And that, I think is a new thing. And, and I'm wondering whether your license can be generalized in the way that other companies can, can use exactly the same one. Um, in other words, you can, you can use this code, but if you're gonna sell something against it, um, that's not allowed. And, and whether, or not, whether or not that can become normative. I guess that's the, the question for me, whether you're, you're breaking new ground here that a number of other companies are going to use, even if they're not in the database space.
1: So I think it's a great question, and, and practically we try to do it at the beginning when we, um, you know, when we started the Common Clause um, License, which was before the that was the first step. Yeah. License uh, that was in a coalition of uh, multiple open source companies. Hmm. Eventually, what happened is that. Each of us wanted to take the license, and you know we we found ourselves uh, struggling with a proper definition that fits to every business needs of any company there now I, um, so this is why we eventually changed it to to what is called ready source available license, which is very very similar to what others are doing in the space now I know that there is today you know um we use Heather to, to write A Ater. I forgot her last name. Um,
2: okay.
1: Yeah, Aether, okay. Yeah, she, she is considered one of the best in writing licenses, open source licenses, and she is now in a venture that uh, is trying to do exactly that, trying mm. to, to to um to define a license that that I would say fit to the generation of the cloud, and that everyone can use it. Um, so you know we we asked the opens we didn't approach the opens the side to accept uh, what we did as an open source project because we knew that this goes against the restrictions of their um, policy mongodb tried to do the opposite they they defined sspl with no restrictions on the other end they add another clause that says something that if you use sspl you need to open source everything else or something like this and um, the, the OSI decided that this is not open source.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is against the definition of the open source. So it's like it's a tricky definition, and you know, eventually, on uh, two or three words, you change your perception regarding your company, which is uh, which is not correct. So we we try to solve the problem. We try to solve the problem very very hard, and and it looks like we didn't get the the the. Um, 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 I would say the support from the OSI to solve it. Um, and, um, I, I know again, that there are a few initiatives in order to standardize it. And once it, it will be there, we will examine it. And hopefully we will we'll try to, um, to, to change it again to something that is more standard. But at the moment we have, we what we have, you know, So mm-hmm. I
0: just want to quickly point out, um, once we publish this podcast, I will for everyone listening. I will uh, attach links, or we have lots of links for background on all of this, so everybody can familiarize themselves, you know, uh, to come to their own conclusions. But uh, anyway, go ahead, Doc. I think you had a, a good question. Uh,
2: no, I, I. Part of what I'm, I'm trying to get here, and I think you're uh, describing it very well, Eve. Uh, Talk is is that th- this is a bit of an ongoing struggle and we're sort of at the beginning of the next stage of figuring out what the next sort of layer or a collection of open source licenses will be in a time when most open source development that's consequential in the world is being done by companies that are competing against each other often in the same markets and also against we're not against so much as but but in the context of of cloud cloud services that in themselves can compete with you, can compete with those companies. I think it was, um, it may have been uh, Richard Stallman who said that a cloud, his definition of a cloud is somebody else's server. And as long as you're running your business on somebody else's server, they can, and they can do whatever they want with it, no matter what else they're doing that's morally right or wrong Uh, is kind of open for them and and we have we don't have all the rules down for this thing yet and and it's
1: yeah and and the question you know the question is how this will will be ended up you know because cloud vendors today have everything you think about all the ITs uh,
0: yeah
1: do you see the IT world controlled by only three companies, four companies uh, in twenty years from now? I think it will be against the world's interest.
2: Yeah, I, I, I had an experience in, and I shared it on our own uh, back channel with, uh, with our, at Linux Journal with my hosting provider. It's not even a hosting provider. I have, I have a server in a rack. It's a Linux server. It's an old Linux server. It's my personal one. I basically just store files on there. I kind of stage them there. But I have some personal stuff on there. But I've had this thing this is something that started out in my house in the nineties. Now it moved to other hardware, but it's pretty much been on the same hardware since two thousand or so. Well, the the company that runs the rack is going all cloud and basically purging all of their hardware, where people like me are just running our own private server, simply taking advantage of their of their backhaul, as it were, you know. And the what is what's happened is that the internet has turned at you know, into a a set, a, a set of centralized centralized services, utility services, rather than an open peer to peer environment where anybody can set up whatever they want and and run it. Um, in part because, frankly, sir, you know, clouds are more reliable. You know, they're and it's it's a it's a different world that way. But I don't like it that uh, that that Amazon, Google, and a few other companies are going to own all of the we all get to rent on their real estate while they can also take advantage of a kind of competitive loophole, which is the in fact the open source license, no matter how much they contribute.
1: To us, by the way, it reminds us what happened with the Internet Explorer and Microsoft that days, when it was combined as part of it. I think eventually someone needs to put some regulations need to get in place and to put some limits to these cloud providers what they can provide. Otherwise, again, the entire IT of the world will be controlled by three or four companies. And you don't want
0: it. well, it's yeah. interesting that you say that. Something that Glenn Moody brought up in his article back in you know in the fall um, was this perception that some that these big companies that we talk about, the quote unquote tech giants, are being perceived as evil a little bit. People are questioning, people are very cynical about it. We talk about, you know, we, we, call, we name names frequently when we're talking about privacy concerns, for example. You know, how often does the word Google come up or Amazon or, you know, whatnot. So there's a general, I mean, it's not wholly negative but there is a slight tendency, an increasing tendency to question the motives of these big companies, and it's not just, you know, issues of licensing or, or whatnot. It's it's a lot of things. So I think that's interesting that those things are happening at the same time. Um, and I think we're we're just at this crossroads, you know, in the evolution of of open source. And like you say, well, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um,
2: so a so, uh, thought th- 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 go ahead. Sorry, go.
1: Yeah, so the funny thing is that eventually we as a company who sponsored and continue to sponsor intensively the open source became the open source enemy. <laughs> Not the guys were misused this, the, the, the open source concept. And this is funny because you know the, the, all these open source companies help these cloud providers to be what they are. Because if you look at what exactly they invented there, I think over 80% is open source that someone else wrote they just use the, the fact that they created a nice platform and the, and the fact that, you know, people go somewhere in order to consume services and there's a consumer. There. But they built their business, significant part of the business around open source that someone else wrote.
0: Well, I mean maybe it's just a factor of the level of success right you you built too good a a product i guess like yep. if you look back on things like i don't know, Joomla comes to mind or you know there were you know ten twelve years ago when people people were right selling Joomla modules right you had commercial, ed. nobody nobody thought about changing license for them. People just, you know, they paid for what they needed. And because you're talking about a much smaller scale, you're not talking about something that powers something as lucrative as AWS. You're talking about something else. So these issues did not come up for smaller projects, right? So, so you know, maybe I it's- know, just your, point for...
1: about, your point about, uh, about creating uh, too good open source is a real point. It's a real point. And we, we, you know, we have some people inside the company who ask these questions. Why did you make Redis such a good piece of software? Or why, and Salvatore, who is the creator of the open source and one of our team, um, uh, uh, he and and the other guys in the team continue to improve this process. And we never restrict clustering and we never restrict replication and we never restrict um, data persistence. We provide all the features in the open source, everything. So it's, it, it's too good for an open source project. <laughs> yes, this is why uh, you are not a $10 billion uh, company because people can use the open source without paying you. Yeah. Um, and, and we think it is wrong. I mean, we think it is wrong. We, we created a great piece of software for the developers and, and, and the things that need to be fixed is that other people need to pay if they want to use it. <laughs>
0: oh, but then some might argue that, you know, why not just build proprietary software then? But so that actually brings me to an, a question, though: How do you decide what level of innovation goes into the open source project versus the not open source add-ons or, or the commercial pro- enterprise product? How do you how do you sort of compartmentalize the development on that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So everything. So first of all, we we have open core. Open core means that all. The important feature of the open source, like uh, um, you know, the cooperation of a database. What is the cooperation of a database? You need to have high, high availability. You need to have replication. You need to have data persistence. You need to have clustering. You need to have some security feature. We put all the security feature in the open source. That means SSL and ACL and all this stuff. Of course, there are multiple layers on the top of it with the enterprise. But you know the basic ingredient of a database is in the open source. Now, the things that a bit out of the scope of the initial design of the open source, we made it source available. This is like all the modules that we provide. So we provide the Redis search capability and Redis graph capability and Redis JSON capability and Redis AI and Redis time series. All these add-on modules are not proprietary software, but they are source available. You can use them, you can focus them, you can to run it in every environment that you want, and again, not competing with us. So this is like how we split it, and then on the top of it, we have some unique enterprise features like active-active geo replication, on the fact that it is an in-memory database and it can run on flash, and these are completely proprietary. So this is like three tiers of project, but the amount of the the, the, the majority of the core database stuff are, are still
2: open source.
0: Okay. So thanks for that. Um I I read somewhere this is not related to your technology in any way but actually your company culture which I thought was interesting. I read somewhere that you offer double referral bonuses when your employees refer a woman into a technical role. Is that true? Yes. Could you could you talk a little bit because you know as a woman yeah. in technology I'm intrigued by that and I wondered if you might comment.
1: Yes, yeah, so yeah yeah we we found that there are not so many women in in the deep tech um programming but when we found them they are practically great they're in the 75 percent and more fascinating uh, yeah yeah it's way way above men <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah.
0: so okay in yeah. order to encourage balance and diversity on yeah. your team you, you you go a little bit above and beyond, which is interesting.
2: I, I, I have to say, there's something my wife said many years ago. Um, we were attending something, uh, some women's liberation thing, and she said, "I'm not interested in equality with men. Why deal down?" Uh, so <laughs> that's sort choice. of what—that's <laughs> sort my of what, hero. <laughs> what you're saying yeah. there. <laughs> I mean.
0: I get it. I, I totally kick ass. So, like, okay. <laughs> I, I, sh-
2: I should point out that that um, <laughs> at certain points, and we're close to it now, um, Linux Journal has long, long been run entirely by women. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. our publisher is a woman, Catherine's one, and we have and and we have others. Our sales. How many? They, yeah, it's, um, been that way a long time.
0: Two men. It's you, Mar- and Mark really are the. Uh, well, Garrick is part time, but. Yeah. It's really just you and Mark. I mean, we have a a lot of our editors are, but they're not the full time. So
1: sixty-six percent of the Well Jill.
2: There's Jill. Jill's our our executive. She's our she's the editor who does most of the work. I I write some stuff, you know, but Jill Jill puts the magazine together. So the the, the person that runs the shop, which is Catherine, the person who runs the the whole who runs the whole business operation and holds it together is Carly. And um And, and, and Jill is the one who actually puts the magazine together and rides herd on all of the slow men who don't get their work in on time. Um, (laughs) That's pretty much the story. Um, I, I, I kind of wanted to go, I was sort of taking notes. I kind of wanted to go back to the, to, to the, where we are now, um, question and especially around where we're talking about the, the, the big cloud providers, um, there's sort of three remedies that you brought up and, one was um, one is of course what you're what you're doing already, which is let's come up with licenses that sort of enforce a non-tragic commons, uh, uh, where everybody's sharing in a in an honorable way, and uh, and not taking advantage of, of each other, creating what what we might call the free rider problem, which is what you had have there with uh, with Amazon taking advantage, um, uh, and 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 is is regulatory. Um, uh, and I I don't know where I was in that that list of things, but there are a couple of things I wanted to bring up. One was that on on the regulatory front, um, I've always been struck by, in in respect to the cloud, or in respect to any of these giant companies that run giant server farms that are the size of nuclear power plants and are absolutely opaque. I mean, nobody really knows what's going on in there other than the people running them. I mean, we can take advantage of their services. We can use their search engines. We can go on, on Facebook's uh, 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 social network, and and we see kind of the the, the front end user interface on that. But we don't see how the whole thing works behind the scenes. And it strikes me is that if you, I mean, if you're running a nuclear power plant, wherever whatever country you're in, there's a federal government that has large teams of people guys and women in white coats that are really expert and go out there and study it and look at what's go- what's right and wrong. We have nothing like that for an Amazon an Apple, a Facebook, a Google. Um, and I don't know how, how we can do that. I actually wonder whether or not they are temporary developments on the landscape that they're, they are, you know, all empires fall, right. You know, and they're, in a, they're, they're uh, empires of a sort. So I don't have a finished thought on that, but I, I, do, I do wonder about how well anybody can regulate them. Um, I mean, one of the things that, that uh, this, is a, this is the third thing that, um, that Glynn in his piece recommends is that they pay, that they pay some in some way. And I think some of them would say right now, well, we're, we're paying the, the Linux Foundation. We're, we're alpha contributors to the Linux Foundation, and the Linux Foundation does a really good job of, um, of bringing all these big companies together to work stuff out, which they do on, in like five distinct areas. And it's also interesting to me that half of the Global 2000 belong to the Linux Foundation today. It may be the largest collection of companies on the face of the earth trying to operate cooperatively. And I don't even know what to make of it. I wrote a piece about it several months ago, where I just sort of externalized my own thoughts about it. But I'm just sort of wondering where where I do you.
1: Understand, you know, this is what you suggest now, which I'm for. It is, is also problematic because once they sponsor you, um, you will be limited in how much criticism you you are going to say against them. No, I mean it's yeah. Very... Now. Why don't you think that uh, an easy way to regulate them is to say, listen, you should decide where you want to go. Either you provide a server infrastructure or you provide the software on the top of it. But you cannot do both.
2: Because that, yeah,
1: they are doing everything. It's not only databases. Databases was at the beginning, but now yeah. so analytics and robotics and all, all this stuff and and and, and right and chain and.
2: In other words, it's just simple structural separation. That's what that that's what the lawyers call structural separation, and uh, and and that was that's been proposed, for example, for the phone and cable companies. You could provide one, or you can provide the other. You can you know, you can, can provide the infrastructure, but not the services on the infrastructure, and and yeah, yeah. yeah And that's if you're
1: a bank. You cannot provide a credit card, yeah, and and mm-hmm. there, are, there are certain, you know. In all, other, in all other areas, the world found that there is a need for regulations for, uh, for, I think, uh, right reasons, yeah? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, with them, you know, nothing is possible. And I must say that, again, with all the respect to what you provide, I think that uh, they will be happy to sponsor you for them, it's nothing, and all the others. And by the way, during the fights that we had, we the fight quoted that we had with changing the license we get the feelings that many many of the teams of the members of the OSI somehow related to these companies as well um, and and by doing this you can easily control the world even further um, and and by and again I, i'm not i'm not saying that sponsoring your initiative is, is, is a bad thing we would be happy to do it as well but we need to think big picture and i think the only way to do big picture thinking here is to split the products that you can deliver i mean it's it is mm-hmm. clear. it's clear why 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 only in it you cannot do it
2: and that's interesting because i i i think what you're saying is we've we've sort of ridden the licensing argument as far as we can and what we need at this point is really regulation that makes a very clear structural separation between Infrastructure and services is that is that about right yeah,
1: no, I think yeah. this is the beginning um.
2: so it might be interesting to write model legislation you know hire hire somebody who's used to doing that, write some model legislation and
1: no, see if you can I, float I, I, it i don 't know
2: if you' have a large enough constituency for it, but not, it's I'm an interesting sure. thought. <laughs>
1: I guess eventually, like all these things started somewhere in in Europe usually this is the type of uh, i don't yeah. know someone in europe will 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 suggest it one day i guess um uh, to me it looks it's look natural i mean yeah but, but this will continue like this
0: interesting all right so i mean we've we've been talking a while, so we might, <laughs> I wondered if, uh, so I, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who use Redis, the open version of Redis. I wonder if you might have any little exciting tidbits on the horizon.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we figure uh, out to the uh, open source version. We, we uh, by the end of the year we release uh, open source uh, version 6.0 which includes a lot of security stuff. Uh, and again, I think we are, we are practically the only one who provides such a level of security at the open source level. So uh, we are talking about access control. We are talking about built-in SSL capability TLS. And then there are um, a lot of other interesting stuff like uh, improving the cluster operation but also uh, providing a new version of the Redis protocol, which is called RESP free, which allows you to do very interesting client side eventually it will allow you to do very interesting client side caching uh, for Redis. So you know Redis is considered as a cache or a data or a fast database. And with this level of caching at the client side, you can actually perform even faster than 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 what Redis is today which is which is I think amazing, so eventually, if you ask yourself why Redis is so important today because it guarantees the speeds of any application that is now deployed on the web or on uh, or on the internet i mean it's like it's clear that when people are not using Redis, the application sucks. It's slow. <laughs> okay. <coughs> well, you, so this this you. allows you to do um, another level of uh, acceleration. So there is a lot of stuff that we do <clears throat> on, on a daily basis. Huh.
0: All right, well, security is interesting. Yeah. Um, I actually, so I, I thought I might bring that up and now it seems like a good opportunity for a segue. So, so you're based in Israel and California. Um, there's a lot of really interesting research and development that happens in Israel with regard to um, security. And I just wondered, is that a, is, was that just a natural evolution because it is Israel and because the nature of the state of Israel Lends itself to uh, security innovation, or how did Israel become the the great tech center and an innovation center that it is today, and particularly with regard to security? Somebody asked me that yesterday, and I said, "Was it a, is it a concerted effort, or was it just organic?" And I said, "Well, I really have no idea."
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh...
0: who knows, right?
1: No, I, I think you you know, know. a bit because you have some relate relations. Yes, I,
0: I'm a yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I enjoy visiting Israel quite a bit, so,
1: so I'm very intrigued uh, by what goes on there. So first of all, I think it's it's the, 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 the innovation is part of the DNA of israelis I mean, this is like, oh, oh, oh I would say, uh, the way the country was created is also a kind of you know in in, in an innovation way, um, and and this. Um, Uh, this process practically uh, went through generation by generation. So it's the the nature and the DNA of the people who live there. Security is um, another aspect for this, and it's it's mainly related to the intelligence services that that we have in the army, which is a huge department of the army today. Because as you can imagine, this is the... um, the, the next generation of wars sure. will be online <laughs> and, and, and someone need to solve these problems and 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 someone need to to be able to secure uh, the it of the country or to attack the it of other countries or and and all these innovations are creating today in the israeli defense force and these people uh, when they graduated from the army they have a lot of knowledge and and they would like to apply what they learned in in, in you know, in, in a commercial way or in, in, in outside the army, um, and and I think this is this is the reason for it. Okay,
0: that makes sense. We not, to plug previous episodes, we we actually have talked about you know state actors and and the sort of next generation of war, as you say, the next threats that are on the horizon and the ones that are already here we had, we had a really interesting one. I think the title is be afraid, <laughs> be very afraid. And then, and then we, of course, talked our, one of our uh, editors, Kyle Rankin is a secure, his a, you know, subject matter expert in security. And we, we, we actually did an episode of our podcast. We recorded it while I was in Israel and we talked about that. You oh. know, I said, it's a very, it's, it's part of the culture there in a way that it, that it's not in the U S you know, we go, we have the, we have a safe room in the apartment, right? We, every every new construction apartment has a safe room. Why, you know, why wouldn't you have a safe room? And that's a very foreign concept yeah. uh, in the U.S. You know, we have the, the front door of the apartment is, you know, this, well, it, in, in Texas, we would call it a hurricane door, but, um, but yeah, it's just something that you, that it's an everyday part of life. If you, you if you see a, you know, a bag lying around unattent- unattended, you report it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, you know, you you know that when you go in a shopping mall, you're going to have your trunk opened and searched and that's just part of it. You don't think anything of it. But um it's incredibly different to how it is here. And so, I don't know, it's just kind of an interesting yeah. thing to think about.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And mm-hmm. you know, there were, uh, you know, a few success story like Checkpoint started in Israel uh, yes. like, way before everyone thought about security and and and. This drives a lot of uh, innovation in this space. By the way, we are a kind of unique database is not a security. We are the only database company in Israel. Uh, since I don't remember when, I don't think that uh, in Israel we had any database company. And database by the way, as a market is two times the size of the cyber security market. Yeah, it's, it's bigger than that. Um, but we also have a lot of security experts in the company and Salvatore Sanfilippo, the creator of Redis, which is part of the team, is also uh, kind of an hacker. And our core team, uh, uh, we have several well-known hackers, uh, which help us to secure Redis very well uh, in the enterprise and now also in the Apple source. Oh,
0: well, great.
2: I, I was thinking also of, um, um, I know Yossi Vardi there, and, and he's
0: ah, very
2: that is. big in, in the chat world, whether they're going back to ICQ. So there's, you know, Israel has been uh, punching above its weight technically for a very long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. There are quite a few, you know, non-security very successful companies in like weeks, I guess you know.
0: Yes. It
1: allows everyone to create very pretty and sexy websites um, in just a few clicks of a button and, and, and many others. Um, and also very good chipset companies like Melanox. That was recently, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I agree that recently security is becoming the most, uh, I would say, the most popular segment in where uh, startup are creating. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, I always joke. You know, every time I come back from a trip and that you know just driving. Uh, along the freeway toward Haifa or whatever, you know, you'll see literally every tech company you've ever heard of on the side of a building there. Every single one is in Israel. They may not tell you that they are, but they're there. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I have to be there. I, I think a context for this also is that uh, we're, we're still early in, in the evolution of ourselves as human beings from, from physical ones to digital ones, and living in a digital world—a fully connected digital world—the um, uh, experience of being in one place, even though we're very different. I mean, we're in we're in Israel, in Texas, and in New York right now, and but we're all in the same place. Except it's not a place. What's that like? There's no, as my wife puts it, there's no distance and there's no gravity here. Mm-hmm. And this is very new to human experience, and we're just gradually building this out we're gradually figuring out how to how this works you know it's it's sort of like her comparison is it's like being it's like being weightless in space and after a while we might adapt to it but it's pretty strange at first and and we haven't got the vocab even the vocabulary for fully understanding that yet uh so it's this part of my uh, not so much a routine but sort of my general thinking about things which is that the older i get the earlier it seems Uh, it's really, you know, the, the future is much longer and vaster and bigger than we have begun to see so far. And, uh, like security is one issue. We have a completely different set of security risks and, and concerns in, in the online world than we did in the physical one. They're completely different. And, um, and yet we have a set, the same model, which is, am I safe or am I not safe? How do I make this safe? How do I make this? building safe, how do we make these people safe, how do we signal each other that we're that we're protected or not protected, and and with privacy as well. You know, we're running around naked online right now. We have been for a long time. Others have taken advantage of it, just sort of like Redis has been taken advantage of in a way. It's a different thing, but taking advantage of people and of companies that are vulnerable in some way is sort of a, a human tendency as well. So how do we signal privacy? How do we say what that is? Um, how do we? How do? What's our? What's clothing and shelter here? We don't have this worked out yet, and that's fascinating to me. That we're yeah. we have a lot. We have a long way to go. I guess
0: it is. It, it, is it is related. Our, our own individualism, our our digital sovereignty as as individuals, but also as companies. So, well, I think on that note, that's a pretty great place to wrap up. <laughs> if you have any parting I words? Say, I
1: would say only one word. Think about it. You know with the recent, I would say, security holes that people found in the CPUs.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Questionable. Will we even be fully secured one day? Maybe it is impossible.
0: Maybe it is impossible. That's a scary thought to end on, as we always do.
2: It is an interesting one. I can think of a whole bunch of things to say about that, but I think now is a good time to to wrap it.
0: I know. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for hosting me.
0: Yeah, I think I think this one might actually get some comments and some emails. So our email is podcast at linuxjournal for those of you who want to write to us. Um, and thanks.